Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Hello, everyone. This is the Life Coach Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Jan Jaffe, and I'm your host. On today's show, we're discussing guilt and the role it plays in our lives, whether through its healthy application, its absence, or when it overtakes and defines our view of life, creating upheavals in one's self-esteem and entire sense of self. I'm delighted to be joined by my brilliant team, Sharissa Sebastian, and guest co-host, Dr. Kent Robert Shaw. Today's show is entitled, Fifty Shades of Self-Flagellation, How Obsessive Guilt can paralyze us. Welcome to Think Tank. Guilt can be a double-edged sword, and it is not assigned solely to the human race. Anyone who has ever owned a dog knows that dogs feel guilt. In fact, there are numerous videos online of humorous guilty dog videos. Guilt is a natural emotional response. While appropriate shame and guilt certainly have their place, and the lack of such is associated with sociopathy, obsessive or pathological guilt can actually lead to becoming stuck and almost crippled in life. The anxiety caused by such rumination creates a sort of cycle that feeds guilt so that the cycle continues and can actually emotionally and psychologically paralyze someone. In this episode of Think Tank, we not only examine our relationship with guilt and how a pathological relationship with it can create profound dysfunction in our lives, but also how to create new, healthy thought patterns. Sharissa Sebastian, please tell our listening audience a little about yourself. Sure. Hi, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. So um, I'm a career success uh, coach for ambitious women, and um, I'm also a a radio show host and the co-owner of Stop, Smile, Breathe, as well as a writer for Forbes and the Huffington Post and a speaker and and author. And I'm so happy to be here. Um, If anyone would like to find out more about the work I do, you can go to my website at sharissasebastian.com. Thanks so much, Jan. Oh, and thank you so much, Sharissa. And now, Dr. Robert Shaw, please introduce yourself. Uh, Dr. Cam Robert Shaw, good to be very happy to be on the show. I'm a uh, psychiatrist, MD. I here in New York City. I work at uh, Columbia University and teach uh, classes there, and I have a private practice. I'm on the radio here in New York and have a, a sub-interest in addiction, uh, and this show about obsessive thinking and guilt plays right into a lot of addictive behavior. So I'm so happy to be on the show today. Oh, and we're delighted to have you here with us today, too. Thanks, Dr. Robert Shaw. Now, as I mentioned earlier, guilt and shame occupy an important role in our lives, and without them, life could be downright dangerous. And the lack of guilt is precisely what makes a sociopath or psychopath so very dangerous. 
So let's begin by defining healthy guilt, obsessive guilt, and ruminating. What are some of the causes of a pathological relationship with guilt? I mean, how does one even get there? Uh, Sharissa, can we start with you? Sure. So um, a couple of things. I think for the most part uh, we feel guilty because we've done something or said something that may have caused or we perceive that harm was caused to someone else. So that's one, you know, the one aspect of it where we feel guilt for, um, you know, for having caused harm to, to someone else or disappointed someone, let someone down. Um, and then, of course, uh, uh, with ourselves, like we feel guilty about making the wrong decisions, maybe it's a career choice or whatever it is in our own lives, and we tend to really feel guilty about that. So we get in this cycle of replay and regret, and we keep going back to that. A lot of times that's what happens when it kind of spirals, when we keep focusing on that rather than kind of making an effort to work through that and, and move forward. So like you said, there's, it's not necessarily uh, a bad thing. It can be um, a good thing in a way, and it's a, a matter of how are we channeling that. So what is that really fueling? Is it fueling um, this, uh, keeping us stuck where we are and um, negative, maybe even leading to some negative behavior or depression or anything like that? Or is it really helping us to, um, to separate from that um, in terms of, like, guilt and shame. So I love uh, Brene Brown's uh, work and her writing, and one of the things she says is guilt is focusing on the behavior, where shame is focusing on yourself. So the, uh, your, sorry, the guilt is going to be, I did something bad, where shame is, I am bad. So in other words, how are you processing through that? And then mm-hmm. what are you doing as a result of guilt? Are you keeping yourself in the cycle, or are you uh, making a choice to work through that and learning from that and then making better decisions moving forward? Oh, wow. That's, that's, uh, that's a whole lot that you just said there, but that is wonderful. And I love the distinction especially between guilt and shame. Um, and, and also, as you said, as you were saying, how to uh, differentiate and how to move beyond that. Um, Dr. Robert Shaw, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on all of this. Yeah, so I always feel, right, that guilt is about relationships, right? I made a, uh, some mistake. And shame is I don't measure up. I feel lesser than or something, which is just me and my own standards about myself. And I think that a lot of recovery programs talk about, you know, how important it is to learn how to say I made a mistake and I'm sorry, Right, that as very you know that people struggle with, as you said, sociopaths really struggle on one side of the spectrum of their inability to say they're sorry. They're always what they call externalizing blame. They're always you know have an excuse or some reason why they do something that is selfish or hurtful to other people. They don't they don't have healthy guilt when they should, when they're you know selfish or exploitative or manipulative or hurtful in some way. But this show, I assume, is really talking about the other end of the spectrum where God or Darwin has a sense of humor that there are people who feel incredibly guilty and shameful uh, about things that maybe they don't need to feel at all guilty because it was somebody else that caused the problem or, you know, the degree that they obsess about it and the degree that they, um, you know, ruminate about a mistake or some 
behavior that wasn't so nice or thoughtful to another person is way overboard. I, hence, I assume the, the self-flagellation, you know, Fifty Shades, almost a, a harsh internal critic and a punisher that just goes over and over our human mistakes and our human ability to at times be a little self self centered and a little bit uh, looking out for my needs over other people and I can be a little sarcastic and be a little mean spirited in my jokes and um, I'm human. Mm. Oh, I love um you know ev- everything that you said, but I love also you you talked about there are a couple of things that I heard that you said that I would love to expand on. You talked first of all about or one of the things that you mentioned was the harsh internal critic. And I would love to um, go into that a little further. Um, where do you think that, you know, the tendency to, to do that, to have this, to be someone who has this harsh internal critic? Because not everybody comes kind of suited up with that, so to speak, but some of us do. And where do you think that that um, susceptibility comes, might come from? I think there's two two routes that a mean and harsh, I like to use Jimmy the Cricket, for those of you who are Disney fans, you know, our real <laughs> conscience and our shoulder, you know, our superego to what Freud said, our, uh, that is kind of harsh. The one that a lot of therapists focus on, and it's pretty clear to sometimes connect the dots, is often a harsh and critical parent growing up, right? And so... You know, a harsh and critical perfectionistic parent who, you know, when you make a mistake, when you spill juice when you're three and a half, four years old, you're a little kid or you're a little bit selfish and you want a pony or something like that, you know, can get harshly shamed by a parent, uh, you know, in a very critical, harsh way. And I was thinking about this with the show. Like many parents also, they go on and on, right? They, just, they go on for hours and days of bringing mm-hmm. up mistakes and the like. And so it's not surprising, fast forward, that our internalized parent, our internalized Jimmy the Cricket, can have mm-hmm. many characteristics of our own relationship with our parent growing up in terms of how harsh it is, how punishing it is, how mean Nazi-like it is. And then even mm-hmm. this thing we're talking about has correlations with you know, parents who just days go by and yet they're bringing up you spilt milk at Aunt Sally's, you know, wedding or, you know. And so it's not surprising that we continue as mm-hmm. adults days later to bring mm-hmm. out our whips and chains and beat us down. Now, much more subtly, which gets into a big part that we may talk about today, which is, a, you know, a harsh Jimmy the Cricket can also be a way that I understand that I'm in a pretty painful life experience as a child as my way of gaining control. My way of gaining control, my parents are going through divorce, my mother has MS, or all sorts of things. That doesn't have to do with emotional and physical abuse, which causes a mean Jimmy the Cricket directly, is a Mm -hmm. child's egocentric view that it's my fault. There's something about Mm -hmm. me that's causing all this pain Mm -hmm. around me. And if I were only better, thinner, had a bigger Mm. penis, had better SAT scores, something. If only Mm -hmm. I were better or nicer, everything around me would be better because it's my Mm -hmm. fault. And I think that's a very different and complicated way that people develop a very harsh 
critical Jimmy the Cricket superego. Ah, so it's it's kind of almost as though that's where I guess this drive for perfectionism comes in too. If I were only more, like you said, better or more perfect, um, then then I, other people would like me more, my parents would love me more, I wouldn't be criticized as much, and it goes on and on and on. Is that kind of, do you think yeah. the, the two go hand well, in hand? absolutely, but I think it even goes a step towards you can have sweet parents, and I would go out on a limb that a child is egocentric before seven or eight years old, meaning the world revolves around them. So mm-hmm. that means a child thinks, you know, if I were better, my father wouldn't have died in the World Trade Center. I mean, irrational, mm-hmm. feeling responsible mm-hmm. for everything, MS, par- parental divorce, right? Divor- right? Parents fighting over, you know, affairs with tenants, whatever. A child doesn't know any of that. The child feels they're fighting because I'm something's de- deficient about me. I'm not good enough, mm-hmm. shame, or I'm not nice enough, guilt. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's a, it doesn't even have to do with... Again, the direct cause of emotional or physical abuse, which makes a Nazi harsh internalized parent, it can even be broadened to feeling bad and guilty as a way to gain control of my environment, to give me the illusion that I'm responsible for the bad things around me. And that can get there at six and seven and eight years old and be there until you're 86 years old, unless you are mindful. Mhm. Wow. So there's also these so these then these limiting core beliefs or assumptions, limiting beliefs uh being uh possibly more as a result of either things that we are told by these by you know the Jiminy Cricket on our shoulder uh or the parent the Nazi parent or assumptions being more uh as you mentioned the the, the guilt from um, either or this this guilt from the fact that we you know we feel that maybe had we been better uh, this wouldn't have happened um, you know as you were saying you know that this this child the the mind of the child feeling that we would have had more control over something you know had we been better we we could have prevented something from happening um, also assumptions being from as as um, Charissa mentioned poor decisions that we feel that we may have made or, as I had mentioned before, maybe wasted or unused potential that we beat ourselves up about, you know, oh, we were supposed to do this with our lives and, oh, you know, we didn't and so we're beating ourselves up about that. Another thing I wanted to mention, too, is how this um, affects us in and gets in, and how it continues on sometimes getting us into um, relationships where we continue this pattern, either being in a relationship with someone who really, they don't necessarily have to be a sociopath, but they're also, for whatever reason, either they could be, I don't know, even a high-functioning Asperger's, but somebody who is is, um, incapable of assuming guilt over anything. Um, or ever understanding guilt. Everything is always someone else's fault. And so if you are the sort of person that has this harsh internal critic, 
this is like it this feels as comfortable as an old shoe. It's like slipping on this old shoe. Um, and you end up, you can end up in uh, enabling in a relationship that's enabling, and then you're back in this pattern again. And so, um, and we'll talk uh, later on in the show about how mindfulness and how uh, to deal with this habit or this pattern of thinking and of being. Um, any any thoughts on any of this, either of you? about relationships and, and moving, you know, how we continue on with this pattern. Yeah, I think that when you're talking about love relationships or even friendships or coworkers, as I say to people, there's something, again, kind of egocentric that everything that went wrong, every argument, every disagreement with you and another person is your fault. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's where you tend to go, which is, yes, there was a conflict with your spouse or your sibling or someone at work. It's true that there was a conflict. But then, you know, to sort of say everybody else out there is the epitome of mental health and whatever, and it's always your fault, is actually not allowing the world to be more, and people, to be much more messy and neurotic as most people are, meaning, but it's also gaining control, right? If you're obsessing that it's something I did to cause my boss to reprimand me, then it's not possible that my boss was reprimanded by somebody else or sales are down across the whole department and I'm just a whipping, you know, I'm being, you know, the whipping boy or a scapegoat or whatever like that, which would be a healthier way of coming away from a conflict with somebody without thinking like, oh, what did I do wrong they, and they didn't have any part in it. I think that's what's very dangerous with a lot of very mm. depressive people. They, they, they just sort of, there is a, a, a conflict or disagreement with, a, with somebody, and they tend to obsess and ruminate about what they did wrong only. Mm-hmm. And that's so very destructive. Again, yeah, absolutely. And um, that's that's another topic I really want to get into, and I think we'll we'll leave it till uh, a little bit later in the show. Is how we differentiate between when you know being able to realize when it is our fault and our responsibility, and when it might have it might have to do with someone else's messiness, shall we say their their own um, slightly neurotic uh, sensibility or whatever it is that they might have experienced. And, be, and might be affecting them. Um, I just want to invite our audience to call in. We love your calls and your questions and your comments. So uh, if you'd like to call in with a question or a comment for anyone here on the show, the number is 646-716-9397. We would love to hear from you again. The number is 646-716-9397. Okay, so now that we have a clearer understanding of the different faces of guilt, let's discuss its effect when we overdose. How do obsessive guilt and self-reproach affect how we approach life? We've already discussed a bit about this, but let's talk more about the insidious, profound, and devastating effect obsessive guilt and self-reproach can have on one's identity, self-esteem, self-worth, and sense of entitlement. Um, Sharissa, you've been quiet for a little while. I'm sorry. 
No, that's okay. That's, I've just been soaking it all in, and it's actually, just to answer the question, there's actually a couple of things that um, I wanted to go back and to ba- uh, back to that you and bo- both you and Kent have mentioned that I think is just so, so important to kind of uh, circle back to. And one of the things that actually goes down to this question as well is the this whole belief system that we have and how uh, so much of this is so deeply rooted in what we believe uh, to be true in our within ourselves and in our environment as we grow up. So that could come from critical parents um, or, you know, wherever, from our environment, from our peers, uh, where we kind of interpret these situations and um, interpret what that means for us and interpret that to mean something uh, about who we are as a person. And, of course, that has a big uh, impact on how we feel, uh, you know, how we process through guilt or what we do with it and all of those kinds of things. Um, and there's, I guess, a couple of different ways to look at it as well in terms of we can either, like you were talking about, Jan, earlier, about that perfectionism, we can use it to strive and keep, to, you know, keep trying to do better and trying to reach this, uh, this elusive goal of you know, just being the best that we can do to make sure that everything works well around us. Uh, or the flip side of that is also this, uh, this victim mentality. So we can feel like we're at, always at the effect of everything going, going on and feel guilty that, oh, you know, everything, just, uh, everything goes wrong for me. And it's just because of the type mm. of person I am. And so I, I can't expect things to go right because that's just who I am. And so we tend to attract that kind of, uh, you know, we, we make ourselves, uh, we make that statement true by really looking for things to validate um, that belief mm-hmm. that we have in ourselves that we just, we're not good enough on some level or we don't deserve better because we've messed up in the past or whatever it is. Mm. And then the other mm. thing that I wanted to uh, just touch on real quick is, um, as far as, let's see, there's so many good points that you both brought up. It's like, where do I start? Um, oh, and also, I think, um, Kent, you mentioned this. Like, as a child, uh, where we take on a, the, this idea that something out, that's completely outside of our control, but we make it, uh, just to try to make sense of it, we, we kind of internalize that it's our fault, that something happened to my dad, so it must be my fault. My parents' marriage didn't work out, so it must be my, uh, my fault. And a lot of what you both have said um, it makes me think of this idea of trying to make sense of it all, even, even as adults. You know, there's something happens, and then immediately our mind goes to um, trying to somehow figure this out, trying to make sense of it. And sometimes what makes sense to us is putting the guilt on ourselves. Oh, if I didn't do mm-hmm. that, or if I didn't, uh, if I'm not the type, you know, if I'm the type of person, then, oh, of course that's going to happen. Or we put the guilt on someone else and uh, blame, blame other people for what's happening, just to try to make sense and to have some sense of, uh, control in that kind of situation, mm-hmm. um, and then of course that had like, going back to what you were asking about the effects that is going to have a huge um, impact on our work. Um, and I, I say a lot of this is from personal experience as well, um, because I've been through these cycles um, in a corporate environment where I felt like something, I'm not doing well enough and feeling guilty for not doing the best that I I can, even though um, I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> um, and then on the other side of that as well is just feeling like, okay, so this is the best that there is for me, and I just have to deal with it. So more in that victim mode as well. There were times that I would switch between the two, um, either striving so much to some level of perfection uh, or mm-hmm. sometimes just self-defeated and just thinking, okay, well, this is just the way it's going to be. I can't do any better than this. And then, of course, the comparison game, all of those kinds of things come into effect there. So that can happen at work. That can happen in our relationships. We can settle for relationships that are not the best for us just because we feel so guilty for our past action that we feel like this is kind of our lot in life and this is just the way it's going to be. 
um, of course, it's going to have a huge impact on, um, on our health as well. Um, you know, our stress levels, or we can get depressed. I mean, there's so many. Uh, and um, Kent, you can probably speak a lot better to the, the consequences of this in terms of uh, health. Um, and then, like, there's just so many different things. It impacts every single area of our lives. It impacts our decisions, um, our emotions, and then basically how we, you know, how we live our lives and the people we interact with. Oh, wow. As always, everything you have said is just jam-packed with so much great information, Charissa. You are just so brilliant. <laughs> um, but a couple of things that I, I wanted to, to point out that I heard you say is that, again, you're, you know, you're saying that how, um, how taking, sometimes when there's something that, we, that happens that we're trying to understand and we're trying to make sense of, as you had said, so that we take on the guilt because it gives us a sense of control over you know over what's happening in our lives this is what i was hearing and that basically this lack of control when we feel like there's we have no control either by by either assigning guilt to ourselves or to something else or someone else like the enemy or whatever that that lack of control creates this enormous fear especially in us as adults and we you know we have children to protect we have countries to protect we have corporations and businesses and whatever and careers to protect. And if we feel that we can't make sense out of things, we have no control over anything, we can't make sense, and it, it can give us this sense of a feeling that there's no ground under our feet. So there's this sense of fear. So it sort of adds to this, this sense of a need to make sense and have a sense of control is a way of diffusing fear. Is that correct? Oh, you put that so well. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely <laughs> Well, and and also it what I keep hearing too is this 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 sense of this this guilt, this this pathological guilt, this overwhelming guilt when we just sort of pile it on kind of I'm trying to think and you know it's like when someone puts on way too much sauce onto something, you know, they just cover something in sauce. That's sort of the sauce is guilt when there's way too much of it. Um, it's almost like this black-white thinking. It's, so it's sort of um, perf- if, if something's not perfect, it's no good, and I'm guilty about it. I'm terrible. If I'm not perfect, I'm terrible. And it's kind of the difference between perfectionism versus excellence. Excellence um, is a process. It, it's we're always striving towards excellence, and excellence is not finite. It's something that we strive towards, that we can grow towards. That it it, it also um, in in uh, there's there's also flaws in in excellence because you can always grow. I mean, I this is a little off the charts here, but I just last week I went to this amazing concert at Carnegie Hall, uh, Kyung Wa Chung, who is now she's. She's like 68, 69 years old. She, um, I think it was about in, uh, 2000, maybe 10 years ago or so, she in, she's this amazing violinist, fabulous. She injured her hand and had to retire for about five years, and she came back. And it was, she did all six of the Bach um, solo uh, violin pieces. Those are all that he wrote. And I um, I know them all, and yet I've never heard them performed like this. And she, at one point, one of them she started, she got a few measures in, she stopped and started over. There was no explanation. There was no guilt. It just wasn't the way she wanted it. 
and that's the striving towards excellence. There can be flaws. There can be, and it wasn't her performance wasn't perfect. There were a couple of things where the intonation was a little bit off, yet it was one of the most incredible performances I've ever heard. That is excellence versus perfectionism. In excellence, you don't have, you're in process. You're always working towards something. In perfectionism, it's a finite goal, and if you're not there, you're no good. There's no uh, shades, you know, there's different, there's no shades of gray. And so I think, you know, I think that's one of the differences, and that's just one of the things I, I heard you meant, you know, talking about in what you were saying, Sharissa, and I know I just went on and on and on. So <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, Jen. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you for uh, allowing, you know, uh, indulging me. Um, so, uh, Dr. Robert Shaw, how about you? I'd love to hear what you have to say about um, how all of how this pathological guilt and self-reproach affect how we approach life and how it affects our own identity, self-esteem, self-worth, and sense of entitlement. Well, I think the self-esteem you know, jumps out in terms of, again, some people's, you know, tendency to constantly be in a state of something about the past, something about their history, the history uh, that's now over, that they, they, again, can't, you know, they can't get away from going over and over about, what mistake I made, what misstep I made, what stupid thing I did, what guilty, mean, selfish, all those kind of harsh sorts of words that people, you know, have in their head uh, about, again, well, we're talking about history. I think there's a, you know, song, you know, yesterday's history and tomorrow is a mystery, right? Uh, So, Mm. you know, we have the present, right? So for a lot of why this is so destructive is not only does it make people depressed and feel lesser than and feel guilty that they ruminate about past mistakes or past failures or past things that were less than perfect, but as we, you know, it keeps you from functioning and doing well in the moment which, again, in a mm. spiritual way and otherwise, is really all we have, the present, mm. the now, right? At 1230, mm-hmm. I'm on a radio show right now, a podcast. And so me getting distracted now, thinking about I didn't call my grandmother on her birthday on Sunday, is actually getting in the way of me functioning well right now. Not only is it 50 shades of flagellation of making me unhappy, it's also interfering with my ability now to perform at my best because I keep getting distracted with this, you know, a rumination to my mind is like a like a record, you know, a skip in a record, stuck. Like the brain keeps going over and over and over some thought, some memory, something, and just can't get unstuck with, again, a very harsh and mean sort of uh, tone to it as opposed to forgiving or letting it go or laughing it off and then now being in the present and functioning now in the now as opposed to wasting time obsessing about the past. It's a complete waste of time. 
most of the time. You know, people spend hours and hours and hours obsessing about the past, just like just as an aside. If we ever do a show about worry, people's studies would show people spend 95% of their time worrying about things that never happen, the future. <laughs> you know, again, mm-hmm. yesterday's history, tomorrow is a mystery, right? So worry and rumination, forward and backwards, are a complete non-logical way to spend your time as opposed to, right, being in the now and functioning in the now and trying our best, as you said, Jan, in the now, trying, <laughs> doing your best now which you can't do if you're depressed and guilty about an hour ago or 20 years ago. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's the same thing for, I mean, can you imagine um, a gymnast, for example, and, and what they do can be very dangerous. And can you imagine if they're doing one of their routines, which, you know, like an Olympic routine, yeah. Yeah. and they, and they, they don't do something quite as maybe a jump as high as they'd like, and they're still in the, they're doing their routine. And if their mind is obsessed and stuck, as you said, like that broken record or that skipping record, in the fact that they didn't the jump or the lift or whatever was not I don't know the, the terms excuse me, but as high as they would have liked, then you know they might fall off the balance beam or or worse they could end up having a horrible injury because they're not they're still stuck in the in the past they've got all the rest of their routine coming up they have to focus on the here and the now um doing the very best in the moment and focus and letting that go because they're not perfect it's all a process it's the same thing with, you know, with singing. I mean, that's something I know. Or with playing an instrument. You, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing in an opera or a concert or whatever, and I have a high note, we'll say, and maybe it didn't go as well as I would have liked, if, I'm, if I start to ruminate about that, the, rest of, the, the, ne- the next run or high note may suffer because my head's not there. My energy and my focus is not there. So life is, this is what life is. It's 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 a constant um, routine. It's a constant opera aria. It's a constant, uh, you know, uh, sonata. Whatever, however you want to um, to picture this, whatever an, an analogy you want to use, this is what life is. And if we stay stuck in what we didn't do as well as we would have liked, then we're going to continue that habit, shall we say, of of not, you know, not focusing and being in the present moment and doing our best. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's kind of, right, it's, uh, it's ironic. You know, somehow I think at some level, maybe not conscious, people think it's called in psychology terms undoing, that it, it's not a conscious belief system, but it's not a magical belief system that if I go mm-hmm. over something enough in the past, I can magically change the past. That's one of the theories mm-hmm. about also why people do that, uh, about, you know, why I go back to a month ago, I forgot to bring a dozen roses and only one rose to that girl I met on Match.com, and that's why she didn't want to go on a third date, and I can't get that out of my head. Like, if I'd only given her a dozen roses, and you know, and I'm just mm-hmm. stuck obsessing about what an idiot I was and how lost opportunity and uh, all the above as opposed to, you know, letting that obsessional negative thought go and moving forward and 
getting mm-hmm. on Match.com and trying to find a new date or something like that, rather than what people do with relationships a lot mm-hmm. when they go sour is obsess about what did I do wrong that the relationship, mm-hmm. or what did I do wrong that this work thing didn't turn out. And again, getting back to what we said before, sometimes it's like, well, it takes two to tango, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, beating yourself up in a depressive Woody Allen self-flagellating way about all the mistakes and imperfections that you did. Uh, and absolutely, I think sports is a, for listeners, sports is a perfect example as as is music, but again, sports, you watch, the NBA playoffs are going on. And LeBron James, he has some bad games. He's the best basketball player in the world these days, one of the best. And they have, they're not perfect, right? They're not godlike, they're, they're whatever. And they can't get in their head, or they can't get in their head that the first quarter they miss seven or eight shots or something like that. They have to move forward. And we know from sports psychology that that's actually what we're talking about. Sometimes athletes do get in a slump, and that's exactly what we're talking about. They get stuck in a pervasive feeling of they don't do anything well, they never do anything right, they're a failure, they're not very good at what they do, and they don't sort of shake it off. They get stuck in a very negative self-talk, not just about the past, but then, as you said, it invades the present feeling of, I'm not very good. I'm I'm, Mm. I'm not a very good therapist. I'm not a very good therapist. I'm not a very good basketball player. I'm not a very good singer. Whatever. Mm -hmm. A pervasive feeling in the now of feeling lesser than. Or even not good enough that Mm -hmm. comes in. It could be we could be good, but just not good enough. And we have to be, you know, and then the, our past, the, that, that Jiminy Cricket on our shoulder is saying, you're not good enough, you have to be the best. You know, there's all of, all of this comes in. It can either be I'm not very good or I'm just not good enough. Um, well, sadly, so, I get a lot of people that would be, I wouldn't join a club that would have me as a member, right? I mean, that's uh, 10, 15% of the population where it's not, it's, it's not I'm not great or perfect, whatever. It's a basic sense of I wouldn't, I don't like me or something. I, I would never mm-hmm. join a club that have you know, Groucho Marx said that, right? I uh, mm-hmm. I really don't like me at some level. I'm, I'm I'm disappointed with me all the time, with whatever. Too fat. I'm not this enough. I'm the, I'm not a good sibling. I'm not a good child. Whatever. I'm not a good parent or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever negative tapes of depressive self-reproach that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that we can find ourselves stuck in that pace is like, going back to it gives an, it almost gives us permission, right? Like if I'm really not that good and I'm, I'm always make the bad decisions or I'm not good enough, it almost gives us permission to sit there and ruminate on it because it's like, well, that's just how it is. That's just how right. I, I am. So it's like oh, making right. sense. It's also, kind of, it's also in a way like making sense out of it and just being in that victim mode because it's, it's comfortable there, right? You don't have to. It's just the way it is, and so you just accept it. Right Absolutely, You're, you you bring up a very good point that that comfortable place of discomfort. Yes. Right. Yes. That we're that we're very. It's comfortable to us because we're used to it. We know our identity. It's a role that we've worn before. Uh, it's not as scary because um, it's not a new one. It's something that we've we're accustomed to. So that's, yeah, that's also... That's so true. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, like when it comes to relationships and things like that, because in order to 
if you do feel guilty, say, for example, for disappointing someone or saying no to someone or whatever it is, then you need to get out of your comfort zone in order to restore that, right? Like, in order to apologize or to whatever. And that is very uncomfortable to some people. They, it's easier for us to sit there and go, oh, it's just my fault. That's the way they're always going to see me. And then you stay here mm-hmm. and you don't get out of that comfort zone and break through to ac- actually uh, build on that relationship because it can be scary. It, it, there's a lot of fear that can be associated with that, with skipping out and trying to, you know, apologize or whatever it is. Absolutely. No, you bring up some very, very good points. You know, here on the Life Coach Radio Networks, we're proud to have as our sponsor Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet, offering customers a new way to enhance and enrich their lives every day. Audible is the preeminent provider of spoken word audio products that include more than 100,000 audio programs from more than 1,800 content providers. Receive a free audio book with your 30-day trial when you sign up with Audible today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. Now here are some Audible books related to today's topic. Shame and Guilt, Masters of Disguise by Jane Middleton Mose. The Power of Right Believing, Seven Keys to Freedom from Fear, Guilt, and Addiction by Joseph Prince. Emotional First Aid, Practical Strategies for Treating Failure, Rejection, Guilt, and Other Everyday Psychological Injuries, written and narrated by Guy Winch, Ph.D., So don't forget to sign up for a one-month free trial to get your free audio book today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. Audible, stories that surround you. And now back to our show. So I just want to remind our callers again that we would love to hear from you with any questions or comments for any of us today on the show. The number here is 646-716-9300. So obviously the ability to feel guilt is necessary in order to be a healthy, compassionate human being. And as I mentioned before, even dogs feel guilty, and anyone who owns a dog knows this full well. But mired in an obsessive relationship with guilt, this way of thinking, self-flagellation and self-reproach becomes a habit, a way of being. Now, how can one break this habit and climb out of this dark hole of the mind, this bad habit of thought pattern? How can we alter this pathological, pathological relationship with guilt and create a healthy one so that we can move forward as the best and healthiest version of ourselves? How can we come to accept and become comfortable with all the choices we've made in our lives and and actually become uh, comfortable in our own skin, shall we say. Um, Sharissa, how would you like to start with this? Oh, there's so much to this, uh, Jan, and a lot of this is from my own experience with this and things that have um, helped me that I would love to share and things that have helped my clients as well. So um, one of the things that is I think we've talked a lot about this already, but just to stop shitting all over ourselves, <laughs> like the shit over the kudos, you know, um, at the end of the day, and I think um, Kenji had mentioned this as far as, like, wiring goes, um, when we, it really doesn't 
serve us. It doesn't do us any good to stay stuck in that uh, in that cycle. And um, the, the other thing that is really helpful is to journal about it, to, so to get it out of your mind and to just start um, writing. And I've done this with a couple of my clients, and it's worked really, really well. So write down, like, what's going on and just the, your thought process and the reasons you may feel guilty. And a lot of times there's so many, um, like, aha that can come out of that um, alone and it can help us to separate, um, like we were talking about earlier, that difference between shame and guilt. So it can help us to separate something that we may have done, that maybe there's an opportunity to do better going forward versus taking it on, on ourselves and creating mm-hmm. a, a negative, like a negative self-identity. So journaling can, can help kind of process um, through all of that. Um, and then the other thing is to just watch our self-talk. We've talked about this as well. So in other words, like talk to yourself the way you would to a friend in those kinds of situations. So if a friend came to you and said, I'm really feeling so guilty about this and this is what's going on, how would you, you know, how would you talk to a friend? How would you respond? to that person. Mm-hmm. So just watch what you're saying to yourself and how you're um, internalizing that and maybe even practicing uh, positive affirmations and grounding yourself in that every time these thoughts of um, guilt and every time you start to think uh, or get back into that replay and regret kind of cycle. Um, and then the other thing is also the two questions that I like to ask um, in, in these situations, especially when we find ourselves going um, into that spiral or getting stuck, is how is this really helping me? So how is focusing on the guilt and regret and all of those things, how is it helping me? Um, and then the second question is, what is this costing me? Because you know, there's time that's spent there, right? When you sit there and you ruminate and you go in circles and you start blaming and all of this guilt and shame comes up, um, what is that really costing you? You're spending time doing that versus focusing on something else and doing something more positive or maybe even reaching out to someone and moving, moving through that. It's always that kind of opportunity cost when it comes to um, to this idea of guilt or shame and what you do, decide to do with it. And, of course, um, forgiving yourself in that process is, is so important. So, again, separating um, what you did, even if you, feel, like, if you feel like you did something wrong, separating the action from um, the fact that, you know, you may think of yourself as a bad person. And, obviously, self-compassion and all of that comes into play as well because that's going to really help give you a sense of peace and help you get into a space where you can actually focus on the right things and focus on the present versus ruminating on the past and maybe slipping into even depression um, at that point. Um, and then also you can, one of the other questions that I like is, what can make me feel better about this? So what can make me feel less guilty? And a lot of times this comes up when, uh, when we're talking about, um, you know, like in a relationship. Maybe it's uh, having a conversation, opening up the communication between you and somebody else. Maybe you do have an assumption that you did something wrong to somebody else um, or did something that wasn't, you know, wasn't the best. And maybe asking yourself this question, what can make this better or what can make me feel less guilty, or give you ideas to maybe reach out to that person and apologize or at least have a conversation um, so that you're not sitting here making all these assumptions thinking that it's so much worse than maybe it already, you know, that it, than it is. Um, and then the other thing is to, to change focus. So rather than sitting there and focusing on this, uh, you know, whatever you think you did wrong or the, the guilt and the shame, is to change your focus to something else. Maybe go do a, a good deed or do something um, in terms of self-care or just change your, your focus because that's where your energy is going to go. And so when you change your focus away from this, it tends to be you get clarity, you get more focus, and you can redirect and channel that energy into something that's more productive 
and that's going to help you and others in the long run. Oh, as always, you've you've mentioned so many great, great uh, suggestions for how to how to create a change. And um, one one of the things I wanted to mention, I mean, you you that you mentioned was, you know, how does this serve me, basically? Um, you know what? How is this helping me to to stay in this place of guilt? And then what is this costing me? So basically, how is this serving me? Is it serving me to stay in this place? And and is it serving me? Is it, it costing me a lot? And so it's keeping me stuck. And does and does, is that a place that I'm comfortable in? Is that 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 keeping me from moving forward? And maybe I'm fearful. And all of the things that you mentioned about the self-talk is that you know would we. How would we talk to a friend who's telling us that that you know this is what's happening and this is how they feel? So, you know, and for some of us that's very very tough because we think, well, maybe we're not being really honest, but we it it we are. You know, we talk to a friend because we we don't feel that way. We love them. We don't feel that way about them. They're not horrible people. They've made a mistake, and if we can look at ourselves in the same way. Um, one of the things that I'd like to add to what you've said, because you've made so m- I don't want to go through, um, there's not time for me to go through everything that you said because it's, there's, it's just so powerful, all of your suggestions. Um, many of us have in our lives people who are unsupportive, people who for some reason enjoy um, letting, you know, if we say, oh, my God, I made this mistake or I did this, I should have done, you know, we when we're, when we're shitting ourselves, um, but instead of, of um, being supportive and being good friends to us and saying, you made a mistake, um, they'll, they'll say, yeah, you did, you, you, you should have done such and such. And it's almost as though, for whatever reason, either they're clueless or it makes them feel better, makes them feel superior. But over time, if that's what we keep getting from people, uh, whether it's friends business associates, or even family, uh, we, it, one of the things that really can serve us is to realize that uh, we sometimes have to release, these un, uh, release ourselves from these unsupportive alignments in our lives because it, it can keep us in this place of self-reproach. And, and they can actually be like that Jiminy Cricket on our shoulder. Mm-hmm. So um, we're we're getting close. Frenemies. Frenemies. (laughs) Yes. Dr. Robert Shaw, I'd love to hear, you know, only because I would love to go on with you, Sharissa, but I'd love to hear what you have to say because we're, we are getting, we're, we're because of time. So I would love to hear what you have to say about all of this. Well, I feel guilty. I over-talked before. No, I shouldn't feel guilty. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think I, no, I, again, I, it's all my fault because I allowed you to. Yeah. So, Sharia, <laughs> so I think we're talking about a certain mindfulness that, again, is very hard to obtain, right? Because when you're mm-hmm. in it, when you're in it, it feels right. The amount I'm thinking about something and the amount I'm feeling bad about it feels right. Right, the thought, the the thinking isn't stinking. It's appropriate, the thinking mm-hmm. and the feelings of self hatred and and punishment and all of the above feel appropriate. So Sharissa, you know, she said something very smart, which is a way to often realize that. Right, what Freud said, where there's id ego shall be, but not to talk psychobabble, is to sort of step back and say, well, what if 
my sister or a friend or someone I cared about was two minutes late for a patient or whatever it is. And But that process of doing that is a very hard thing to do. You know, I mean, I think that it it, it is very difficult to think about what we're feeling and to stop the cycle of ruminating, right? But it's the first Mm -hmm. step, and that question is a very important one. And then I think for some of us, including me, and again, it has like a semi-spiritual concept, whatever self-talk I can do, despite 100 years of psychoanalysis and therapy, there's nothing like calling up or Jan and saying, hey, I'm, I'm feeling really bad about this, and getting a feedback from somebody, getting mm-hmm. a feedback loop of, yes, Kent, you are being too hard on yourself, you know, even <laughs> if I'm trying to do you know, so that I think reaching out to people, talking about what you're feeling, sometimes it's nice when you can do it yourself, but other times there's nothing like also just having a feedback loop of a friend or whatever, or a therapist, and some people need therapy, to, to sort of validate, like, yes, I am dining out on beating myself up and the like and all the above. Because I think Sharisha also says something very important. When you're in this loop, you can stop this loop by correcting it, but you can also just stop it in the world I live in with, I'm looking at it, Snickers bars, alcohol, (laughs) pornography. There's lots of things that when you're in this place are mood-altering and thought-altering. Addictions. And so... Addictions is one way, but a very destructive way to get out of this mode. I think going to the gym, going to a yoga, and it's sometimes that's for me personally, again, it's like I can't get out of this place, and I don't want to do something destructive to get out of it, and I've talked to friends, and I've tried to self-talk, but it's still buzzing in my head a little bit. I need to, right, I need to go to the gym. I need to put some Bach violin sonata on. I need to distract myself until my mind calms down. Mm-hmm. And I think there's very destructive ways that people d- distract themselves and get out of, of this rumination. And then there are obviously much more positive ways to find positive distractions, to just sort of say, I'm just, I just need to put my mind in a different place. And hopefully when I walk out of the gym, the thing that was buzzing in my head an hour ago is going to be less. It may not, but it, for many of us, of course, just like a full night's sleep, for me at least, I'm often like, oh, my God, that thing, you know, I, I see it in a whole new light the next day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. I, about the, the full night's sleep, absolutely. I have a question. So, uh, you know, for a lot of people, there's confusion between, and, and I love how you said dining out on, you know, on this this ruminating or this self-reproach, this kind of uh, this obsessive guilt, but um, or self-hatred. And there, for a lot of people, there's um, confusion between ruminating and you know going over and almost undoing, as you said earlier, mm-hmm. that psychological term, versus you know trying to learn from our mistakes. What did we do? What was what is what what is what is it about us or our behavior or our way of thinking that we can alter so that in the future we make better choices? How how does one um, you know determine uh, the difference between ruminating and learning from mistakes? Right. Yeah, I think that, and often the solution is 
quick, right? I mean, you know, again, it doesn't serve this self-flagellation to be, again, where lots of times it's a, it's a simple fix. Like, oh, I'll just try to get the F train earlier so I'm not late for my pay. You know, again, I, I think for a mm-hmm. lot of times it's like a simple mistake, a simple failure, and sometimes it's a, it's a simple commonsensical fix, uh, you know, that you know right away. Um, but and but that doesn't you know seem to do what people what that doesn't seem to serve the purpose of just again mistakes are there to if you don't learn from your history you're destined to repeat it right so the, you have right. a healthy sense of like okay this is what I did uh, this is what I need to do in the future end of story let me be in the moment and move forward um, so yeah logically that's and that's what we tell a friend. That's exactly what we tell mm-hmm. a friend. We'd say, oh, and even if you did that, I think here's the easy fix, and stop beating yourself up, and just in the future do why. Boom, end of mm-hmm. story. But that's not, that's not why I have a full practice here in New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, Sadly. I think... Uh, I think I think also you know as as we've all uh, you know are aware of and Sharissa had mentioned journaling often helps yeah. us become more self-aware and become aware of what we've done and is is kind of a, a helpful healthy way of taking rumination and you know putting it into writing and and doing this sort of brain dump. Um, and I would love to go on. We could just—I have such such a great team here. We could just go on and on and on and on. But we're we're just about out of time. Uh, so I want to thank my very very talented co-host Sharissa Sebastian and Dr. Kent Robert Shaw for their very insightful participation in today's show. If we wrong someone, if we hurt someone's feelings, if we're responsible for harming someone, or if we fail to do something we feel we should have done, then guilt and or shame is an appropriate emotional response, and the lack of it should invoke some sense of concern. However, perfectionism, unhealthy relationships either with other people, unrealistic standards, judgment, or over-focus on outcome can lead to pathological self-blame, disappointment, and rumination. Peter McWilliams said, guilt is anger directed at ourselves, at what we did or did not do. So in that vein, obsessive guilt would be a sort of fury born of anger, blown out of proportion. Next time we find ourselves trying to stay adrift in a whirlpool of obsessive, ruminating, guilty self-reproach, I wonder, would we hold someone else we care about in such feelings of fury as those we assign to ourselves? I'm Jan Jaffe of Forward to Success, and it has been my privilege to have been your host today. I'd love to hear from you, so please contact me with any questions or comments at info at forwardtosuccess.com. I also want to remind our listeners that you're invited to share any comments or feedback on our website, lifecoachradionetworks.com. I also host my own solo interview show, In-Depth with Jan Jaffe, on this, the Life Coach Radio Network, on Wednesdays at 12 noon Eastern. Sharissa, do you have any closing thoughts and contact information you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, One one of my uh, favorite quotes, I guess, from Brene Brown is what we have just been talking about. So the difference between guilt and shame um, is the difference between I did something bad and I am bad. So just kind of some food for thought to to separate from um, how we 
you know, how we place blame and guilt on ourselves. And then as far as how to get in touch with me, you can visit my website at sharissasebastian.com. And I actually also want to share one more quick thing. Um, just last night I opened uh, the registration for my VIP mastermind, um, which I'm calling For the Love of Career, which is a five-week group coaching um, experience. So I invite any ladies out there who need help in any area of their career to come with me with your biggest challenge, come to me on, on these calls with your biggest challenge, and I will um, coach you in that environment uh, over a five-week period starting on June 7th. And you can get more information on that at sharissasebastian.com slash VIP Mastermind. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Sharissa. And I do urge anyone um, with any career questions at all to definitely look into Sharissa's VIP Mastermind. She is she is so very, very special and very talented uh, at helping people she truly truly is and now how about you dr robert shaw well uh anybody wants to c- uh connect with me they can't robert shaw in new york city uh go to my website uh, new york addiction psychiatry.com and um you know to a lot of my clients again simply put sometimes uh live in the solution not the problem right we know what the problem is right uh, mm-hmm. but if you're not <laughs> if you're not shifting into solution then you're just stuck in the problem, whether it's past worry or future worries or whatever. Um, and so that that's what successful people do. They don't get mired in past mistakes or future worries. They, are, they live in solution or, as we said before, they feel like it's out of control and they just mm-hmm. are mindful, prayerful, whatever, and just accept, I, you know, worrying, obsessing isn't going to make a difference. I'm not going to waste another precious second on earth doing it. Absolutely, um, and I, I love what you just said too um, about live in solution, not problem. And also, one of the things that I often say is that when we dwell on the past, that has a tendency to bring us into depression. And if we worry and worry and worry about the future, you know, we're, we're anxious. That that tends to bring us into anxiety. I mean, I know it's much more complicated than that, Dr. Robert Shaw. But um, if we if we focus on the present, which is really all that we have, yes, we can learn from the past and we can plan for the future but as we're planning for the future we are in the present and that's all that we have control over and sometimes not even that much control but um that that is really what helps keep us mindful and and that keeps we you know we stay mindful and stay in in the present and that helps us um plan for our future and it helps us have control basically and stay out of this ruminating um mindset that keeps us stuck. So, um, I've, Dr. Robert, I've really enjoyed having you with us on the show today, and I want to remind our listeners that for all of the hosts, contact and bio information is listed in the show description. We have some upcoming shows on the Life Coach Radio Network on June 14th at noon Eastern, in-depth with Jan Jaffe, and on June 28th at 12 p.m. we have our next Think Tank. And on our sister network, the Life Coach Chat Channel, on May 28th at 8 p.m., coaches Gina Sanasardo and Jen Pasticas discuss great life tips. And on May 30th at 12 p.m., 
Entrepreneur 101 classes in session with Coach Russ Terry. So huge thanks again to my two co- wonderful co-hosts, Sharissa Sebastian and guest co-host, Dr. Kent Robertshaw, for joining me today and making this show a very, very special one. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jan Jaffe for Think Tank. Until next time.